welcome to more to come pw comic world's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing i'm calvin reed senior news editor at publishers weekly and co-editor of pw comics world we're podcasting once again live from the floor of new york comic-con and in this particular case uh from the booth of hopper collins uh just recently announced new um religious focused graphic novel imprint vital shift uh, I have the great good fortune to be here with Jeff Gomez, C- CEO and co-founder of Starlight Runner Entertainment. Uh, a really a key transmedia firm and a, a kind of key apostle, if I may use the term, of transmedia. And, uh, and Jeff, thanks so much uh, for being on More to Come. Thank you. Apostle is quite appropriate well, here at <laughs> Vital Ship. Uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, obviously our, our relationship goes back a few years. Um, I, I, I'd love for you to talk, uh, actually to tell our fans a little bit about you. I mean, you're incredibly experienced in the whole, st- whole storytelling universe, uh, from comics and graphic novels to video games. But tell us a little bit about your background, and then I want to uh, just ask you to give me a little briefing on the notion of transmedia, which is like an important concept, but also it's gotten to be, it's gotten to be a buzzword, and it's gotten to be sort of like a, a backlash against it. But <laughs> nevertheless, as a concept, this is an important uh, platform strategy uh, these days. So yes, you, your background. Absolutely. Well, yeah. first of all, Calvin, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. I'm yeah. a big fan. Yeah, well, thank you so um, much. And <laughs> I want to tell the audience that, that Calvin Reed was actually one of the very first people to truly recognize the efficacy of, uh, of transmedia practice and technique and uh, actually paid a little bit of attention to me uh, some years back. So uh, yeah. kudos to you, uh, Calvin. It's such a, a, a pleasure, a dream of mine to to talk with journalists from Publishers Weekly. Okay. Um, so um, uh, the, um, the, the transmedia world, the, uh, the application of, of the te- these techniques, no matter what you call it, it's happening. Yes. Um, it's it's blossoming. Uh, we're seeing uh, these things on a macrocosmic level with things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. where the movies are connected to the television shows, where the comics and the animation are falling more and more in line consistently mm-hmm. with the uh, themes and the uh, tone of of the movies. Uh, it's it's fascinating, and, and you can get more and more deeply involved in those uh, story worlds. Um, for uh, for me, uh, that's a, a dream that that goes all the way back to my childhood in the '70s, uh, when um, uh, the pop culture in America wasn't too much to speak of. But I fell in love with uh, Japanese anime and Japanese manga and and how fascinating and intricate and and interconnected the comics and the movies and the TV shows and the direct-to-video content was. uh, It was a wish of mine to be able to practice that here in the United States. And uh, I started doing that with adventure games, tabletop games like Dungeons & Dragons. And then I got to really uh, create these multi-platform narratives with Turok Dinosaur Hunter video games and Magic the Gathering trading cards while I worked for Acclaim Entertainment and Valiant Comics in the 1990s. Uh, Those models became so lucrative that I decided to start Starlight Runner Entertainment based here in New York City um, with this kind of transmedia development model. And we have since worked with... Um, Hot Wheels from Mattel, 
Avatar from 20th Century Fox, um, uh, the Disney movies like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and, and Tron Legacy. It's amazing being able to work in these sandboxes, helping these companies by curating the story worlds and making sure they behave um, consistently across different media platforms. Um, now, uh, we're uh, kind of on the verge of the point where we can uh, create our own original transmedia story worlds, and instead of going directly to the, the uh, movie studios or the video game companies, we're going to take the route of publishing. Uh-huh. And that, that's kind of why we're here today. I mean, you, you, you're bringing this concept and these ideas to, to Vital Ship. Or in the process of uh, We actually are, mm-hmm. and, and um, it's absolutely thrilling. The, the, the thing with, uh, with publishing is that um, uh, if you're a, a professional writer and you want uh, a concept that you can assert a little bit of control over as it moves across different media platforms, you're not really going to get that with a, a, a movie pitch or a, a video game title. Those companies want to own everything, um, and um, and they're still quite siloed. Yeah. So um, they'll make the movie, and then if the movie's successful, maybe a year or two later you'll see the video game or some comic book or something like that. Uh, uh, for us, and we're, we're working to change that because it's a different world, but, but for us, publishing offers the uh, ability to roll out um, your narrative um, uh, on different media platforms uh, and retain a certain amount of control, a certain mm-hmm. amount of equity in the underlying mm-hmm. property. Um, the, the reason we have uh, come to Vital Shift is that Chip Brown, the publisher uh, at uh, uh, Zondervan Thomas, a division of uh, HarperCollins, he recognizes um, the efficacy of transmedia and, and the idea that if you're investing a little bit more on, on telling a story in this way, which is the way that I think young people want to experience story. Um, uh, if, you, um, uh, if you do that, you're going to, um, uh, in the long run, gain a lot more than if it's just a, a, a book deal, mm-hmm. a book sale. I mean, in this instance, we're focusing on, you know, religious or, or religious faith. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm sure in the long run, in a variety of ways, but certainly on, in the, on the Christian faith. Um, but one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is, is that the backlash kind of against the term. I mean, no. I, 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 some people I'm finding, they don't, they really don't see the difference between a transmedia strategy uh, than any sort of licensing deal or uh-huh. any sort of tie-in. You know, it, they, they, you know, they seem to think that it's some sort of smoke uh, and mirrors from the marketing department. Uh-huh. You know, how can you talk about uh, transmedia? Because it's a different way of thinking about this kind of thing. This is really original IP, though it's based around this kind of canonical uh, uh, interpretation of a franchise. Uh, and, and it's not just you know a cheap knockoff, or as you described to me earlier, on a cash grab by you know one division. Uh, absolutely. You know, um, I, I we we've stuck with that term transmedia because we need to distinguish this technique. And by the way this type of artistic expression yes. mm-hmm. 
uh, from from uh, things like cross media or s- corporate synergy yeah. um, mm-hmm. and these new kinds of, of marketing because um, uh, be- because you you need to call something a name in order to um, establish precedent mm-hmm. and the word transmedia is now being integrated into uh, contracts mm-hmm. so um, uh, if if you come to me and say, well, I, I need a, 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 an implementation that tells my story properly across an array of media platforms in a concerted way, mm-hmm. and I say, oh, that's transmedia, yes, let's do a transmedia contract, mm-hmm. you know what that's going to do? That's going to get you what you want, but it also is going to reward me mm-hmm. for the incredible amount of work yes. mm-hmm. that it's going to take to coordinate multiple production cycles and mm-hmm. multiple production processes mm-hmm. in order to manifest a concerted narrative mm-hmm. across different media. Um, and that's what transmedia really mm-hmm. is in terms of its uh, um, a legal standpoint. So um, doing a transmedia deal in publishing is not simply um, establishing a marketing campaign for an intellectual uh, property for a book. It's actually a way for the author to express themselves in different ways on different platforms um, and and in such a way that in totality you have a world, a story world that is completely immersive. And here's the real key, the real magic for me about transmedia um, is that there is also this architecture for dialogue that is placed and woven across the entire uh, implementation so that um, you're inviting the reader um, to express themselves about what it is that they're experiencing. And this can be done as as kind of a, a forum for fans to talk about the story. But what's really cool and what we're talking with Vital Shift about a little bit is the notion that user-generated content, that fans can create, uh, uh, be creative and, uh, and express themselves creatively, that that can be somehow uh, an adjunct to the story is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. It's what mm-hmm. I've been talking about for many years. Of course, you absolutely. know that, Calvin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and now we have that possibility. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're sitting here in the middle, uh, middle of Comic-Con where fan input, where, I mean, these fans in their own way validate the work that these platforms and the popularity of these platforms, to actually be able to include them, particularly now as we're in a period where self-publishing has kind of shown itself to be an extremely powerful arm, uh, and in fact, I think publishers are starting to realize that this is to their benefit in many ways, but that element is incredibly important in the whole transmedia strategy, having fan involvement. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. All you have to do is look around you here at uh, New York Comic Con. It's it's actually touching to me um, that uh, so many of these fans have worked so hard to make their costumes beautiful mm-hmm. and and to reach out to one another and 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 their and share their happiness and joy uh, about these these properties. Um, uh, it, it is a, a way for them to creatively express themselves when maybe in other parts of their lives they're not really able to do that. That is being, that is, that is in essence weaving themselves into the mythologies that yeah. they enjoy. Yeah. 
and more than ever before, technology allows us to do that uh, across time and space. That's awesome. Um, well, one of the things, uh, before I let you go, I, I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your own background in comics. Uh, it's extensive. Comics and graphic novels generally always figure in, in many of your projects and some of your biggest projects. Can you just give uh, the More to Come listeners just a little background information? Uh, sure, sure. Um, uh, of course, um, uh, uh, comic books and novels, fairy tales, mythology, those are the things that... Um, that kind of saved my life when I was a kid growing up in the projects of the Lower East Side. I was a little different from some of the other people. Um, and, um, and the heroes that, um, uh, that I would read about, it wasn't so much that they were able to punch people through walls. I enjoyed the heroes who were clever, who uh, kind of figured their way out of almost impossible situations. And I equated that with my own situation, which sometimes felt very overwhelming, very impossible, there had to be a way. And um, and um, embracing the values of some of these heroes, and sometimes the strategies, the techniques of some of these heroes, I think played a key role in um, allowing me to uh, evolve and to uh, achieve my dreams. Um, uh, and um, a part of that dream was to uh, uh, be involved in the making of these uh, uh, properties, these uh, amazing imaginary worlds. Uh, I um, uh, joined uh, Valiant Comics in the early 1990s during their heyday and got to uh, edit and eventually write comic books. Um, um, I, um, uh, at Valiant, I recognized uh, the... The fact that um, the web, the internet, mm -hmm. could play a vital role in storytelling. Not just for uh, providing a forum for fans to complain about your comic book. <laughs> um, but to, well, there is that. <laughs> yes, there is always going to be that. Uh, but to, to offer fans uh, content that there was no room to fit into the mm -hmm. comic books. Mm -hmm. Chronologies mm -hmm. and backstory and history... And um, uh, uh, the, the metaphysics of the way our universes work. I thought there would be people that were interested in that mm -hmm. sort of thing, and wow, there yeah. were. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and sometimes we would put these these websites up in 1994, 95, and they would crash yeah. because so many uh, fans uh, would would come onto them. Um, and so um, the preface to the kind of things you're doing now, which exactly. is creating these canonical narratives about everything about the a property. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that it all fit together uh, gave the fans pleasure. Mm -hmm. And um, and I would uh, maybe stupidly give out my email address everywhere, <laughs> and I would get tens of thousands of emails, um, and I would try my best to talk to some of these mm -hmm. kids and, 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 and integrate um, what, what they wanted to see more of mm -hmm. into the stories and they only became more popular yeah. after I did that. So it was a, it was like the largest focus group in the world, and they felt uh, very involved and, and, and very integrated. Uh, that's the precursor to the kinds of relationships we're seeing uh, J.K. Rowling have with her fans and, and so forth. So um, uh, I was able to um, uh, kind of create a forge a model of this uh, kind of multi-platform approach and um, and bring it to Starlight Runner, and that's that's what we've been running on ever since. Well, we're waiting to see the latest iteration of your vision in transmedia. 
you you talked about uh, spirituality yeah. uh, mm-hmm. before, and I did want to touch on yeah, that since do. we're sitting at the yeah, Vital absolutely. Shift booth. Absolutely. Um, uh, it, it's um, uh, uh, something that um, that we uh, my company specializes in um, uh, staying aware of what uh, a global audience is interested mm-hmm. in, and. Um, uh, what's fascinating is that um, uh, when you create story worlds, the people in that story world have to believe in something, mm-hmm. right? In, in uh, mm-hmm. Avatar, there was yeah. this notion sure. of I see you, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And um, without understanding I see you, you can't really understand the Navi and mm-hmm. you can't create content that's going to be relevant mm-hmm. uh, to the perspective of those characters who are going to be yeah. very, very important in, in years to come. So um, uh, it, it, it got me personally thinking about belief and, mm-hmm. and belief systems. And we look uh, around the world and, and we see this this kind of fundamental human need to believe, sure. to believe in, in a greater universe than ourselves, perhaps a greater intelligence than mm-hmm. ourselves, and um, um, uh, there's, uh, there, what's strange to me is that uh, the huge institutions um, uh, that engage in belief and engage in religion, um, they haven't been leveraging uh, different media platforms mm-hmm. as well, I think, as they could, and it it it's, uh, it causes uh, some of these uh, uh, groups to fall out of sync. Mm-hmm. And um, um, uh, the the interesting thing to me about Vital Shift is that they're they're looking at a group that uh, might not go to church, mm-hmm. um, or, sure. or if they do, it's almost obligatory. Um, and and the, the kind of uh, content that Vital Shift is putting out is immediately relevant to uh, a, a group that's interested in, in graphic novels, mm-hmm. uh, comics, um, the, uh, the different technologies that you can access this mm-hmm. content on. That's really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got me talking with uh, Chip Brown, the mm-hmm. publisher, and um, uh, 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 attempting to uh, cook up some... A significant project that can not just become graphic novels but multi-platform. Yes. Right. Well, we're obviously anxious to see what you come up with. You will be the first person awesome. we talk to. We will be checking back with you. Look, Jeff uh, Gomez, thank you so much for talking to Mordecai. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. A great pleasure, yeah. Calvin. Greg Rucka, Greg Rucka. Hi, I'm Greg Rucka. I'm here with Greg Rucka, if you didn't catch that there. Uh, writer on so many books. Uh, Lazarus now. He's got a new book coming out that just got announced. Yeah, and of course, Horse. Called Veil. Veil. Uh, do you want to talk about it? Mention what it's about? Yeah, it's, it, it's hard to describe it without giving things away. And one of the things that we're trying very hard not to do is give it away early. Um, it is... You know, I suppose you could call it a horror story. It's certainly a, a supernatural thriller. Um, it centers on a mysterious woman who sort of appears out of nowhere uh, with apparently amnesia. Um, and as she sort of moves through the world, shit starts to happen. Um, 
and she kind of becomes the focal point for uh, a lot of nefarious activity and the question is whether or not she is a part of it, if she's the result of it, if she's the catalyst for it, if it's any or all of those things. Um, you know, it's a five issue mini right now. Uh, and Scott Alley and I, Scott's the editor, uh, have talked about it as the first of, of an ongoing sort of series of these cool. stories. So Yeah. You also uh, talk a little bit about Lazarus. Sure. The first trade just came out for Image and it seems to be critically well received and doing well. Yeah. Um, you know, Michael Lark is the artist on it. Uh, Image Comics is publishing it. It's uh, it's it's basically a, a it, it, it's a speculative fiction piece. It's set in a future where, as opposed to, you know, war or disease, the, the catastrophe has been economic. Um, and the world, as a result, is sort of reverted to a feudal state. Uh, and I'm describing it incredibly poorly. Uh, on that Boring basis, nobody, families. Yeah, nobody would want to read it. It's, it's, the, it's the story of a woman named Forever Carlisle, who is the Lazarus, in quotes, of her family. She's genetically engineered to be sort of their shock trooper, special agent, commando super spy. Uh, and it's sort of her story, because she's created into a world of incredible privilege. She's kind of a tool, though, for yeah, the family. Yeah, she's absolutely that. But at the same time, she has... She seems to have the greatest moral qualms about the state yeah. of the world. So, you know, uh, it, it is very much hard science right now. We've done a lot of research. We've tried to, you know, everything forever is, is of course, sci-fi, but it is, it is really based on technology and science and, 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 and medicine that's emerging today. Yeah. Uh, there's this every day. Uh, there's a new... Uh, there's a new story about stem cell uh, therapies or IPS cell treatments or any of these things. Well, it's a really cool book. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, and the, the, literally the first trade just came out. Um, and it collects the first four issues. It's ten bucks. It's a great entry. No entry reason not to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's cheaper to buy the trade than it was to buy the four issues. Yeah. And the only thing you don't get is you you lose the back matter. And we do put a lot into our back matter. Yeah. So. And uh, I noticed you a lot of your books that you write uh, center on female characters. Yes. Lazarus, Vale, and of course you work on Wonder Woman and Batwoman. And do you want to talk about why you it's always stumped, choose? There's Stump Town for Oni Press. Of course, yeah. There's Whiteout and Queen of Country, Oni Press. Why do I write female characters? I like women. <laughs> Good answer. No, and there are not, not enough of them represented in literature in these roles. I think that you get immediate dramatic dividends when you take some of these rather tired uh, genre conventions and you recast gender uh, you are forced to look at them all in a very different light. A new perspective. But, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, why do I write... Uh, the, the, why are most of my protagonists women? I like writing women. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh-huh. I work very hard to treat all of my characters as individual characters, yeah, yeah. gender notwithstanding, ethnicity notwithstanding, sexual orientation notwithstanding. Yeah. Gender is an element of character. It isn't character. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's a good character is just a good character. Yeah. Regardless. You know. But I, you know. But what? You know. I, I do it because I like 
I like women. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and talking about Vail some more, a large part of what Vail is, on a thematic level, is it is a, it is me trying to explore aspects of the male gaze. Okay. Uh, a, a lot of what happens to Vail, and a lot of what happens around Vail, happens as a result of the men perceiving her in certain ways. Yeah, okay. And primarily perceiving her as a sexual object. Uh-huh. Um, and it is proving to be... You know, comics are not an easy medium in the main to discuss gender issues. Yeah. They are filled with some very obvious gender tropes. Yeah. Uh, we Talk all about know, the male gaze. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we yeah. all know how women are portrayed in comics. Uh-huh. So part of one of the things that I wanted to do with Vale is at least try to see if I couldn't figure out a way to utilize those weaknesses of the medium and maybe find a way to sort of turn them to a strength for this narrative. Yeah. Uh, or at least address that issue of... Yeah. Like, but at the same time, you can't write a work thematically. You, 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 it's got, you know, the the story is built from that theme, but the theme is not the story. No. So there story. is there is a definite def, definite narrative at work. Yes. So. Well, I have faith that you've written a good narrative. Thank since you. <laughs> the track record. You have more faith than I do. <laughs> oh no! Come on. Um, anything at the con you've seen that you're excited about? Anything happening in comics in general that? It's making a smile, making it happy. Well, you know, the problem that I've had with this show is I've been extraordinarily busy. Yes. I have not gotten a chance to look around at anything. That said, I got to um, moderate the Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast uh, cool. uh, panel yesterday. And that was such a thrill. And um, I finally got my copy of the graphic novel, the Thrilling Adventure Hour yeah, yeah, graphic novel from Archaea. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. Cool. So I'm hoping they will do more. I'm hoping. I want a, I want a, a monthly Sparks Nevada and Beyond Belief. That's what I want. Yeah. So. Okay, well, anything else you want to add real quick about? Uh, yeah, uh, on the novel front, the new book comes out in July from Mulholland. It's called Bravo. Cool. Pick up, pick up Mulholland. Yeah. yeah. So right, there you well, go. There, see, we have fulfilled the PW uh, mandate there. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Greg. Hi, this is Kate Simmons, live from the press room at New York Comic Con with the writers and one of the stars of the CW Seeds Husbands, the online short uh, LGBT-themed sitcom on the Internet. And now to introduce themselves. Hey, I'm Brad Bell. I am creator, writer, and star of Husbands. Hi, I'm Jane Espenson. I'm co-creator and writer of Husbands. Thank you so much. Can you tell me how the show came about? Uh, Brad had this idea, and I thought, that's a good idea, and so let's make it happen, and we pointed cameras at it. And then, after we pointed cameras at it, we pointed some pens at it, because we were like, let's make a comic book, too. So, originally, it was an independently produced show online, and now you're affiliated with the CW in some way? Yeah, the CW launched uh, an online platform called CW Seed for original comedies from the network, and that's where it lives now, cwseed.com. So you're on your third season? We are, and uh, it's got a lot of great guest stars, and really, it's really funny stuff, and, and lots of good uh, behind-the-scenes videos and commentary episodes, so go check it out. Yeah, and... I mean, we, we use the word season loosely right now. They're, what, what's, what you'll find at cwseed.com 
are two complete stories, uh, one of them starring Amy Acker, uh, and we're really proud of both of them. And uh, Eli Gonda, who's here with us, directed them, and uh, we feel like the show is really, really finding its stride. Like, we're, we're particularly proud of these recent episodes. And so you had a uh, graphic novel that you wrote, both of you, uh, that is tied into the show. Uh, can you tell me about how that happened and, and a little bit about it? Well, we thought it would be fun because we didn't know if we were going to uh, make more of the show at the time that we made that. And we thought it was a good way to continue the story. And we love to play with sitcom tropes in the show of Husbands. So we thought, let's play with comic book tropes and take them into different worlds and universes that you would see in familiar comic book stories. And get this, in one of the stories, we portray Cheeks as a version of Sherlock Holmes. We just found out that Brad Bell, who obviously plays Cheeks and created the character, is descended from the guy on whom Arthur Conan Doyle based he actually, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, Bell. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Bell. He's <laughs> like some great grandfather of mine, like my, I don't know, like a 14th great grandfather or something, yeah. Yeah, direct descendant. Like, how could we, we could, we, we sensed it. couldn't have been it. more perfect. It could not have been more perfect, yes. So, um, so what various different tropes did you play with it? I mean, aside from Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, we have space aliens and yeah. superheroes. Well, and, and and that and the relationship dynamics as well, yeah. like the you know the the maverick rebel in space and his sidekick, and uh, the damsel in distress and the knight in shining armor. Um, and Archie. Yeah, and and spies, <laughs> a, a team of spies. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I love that we sort of break the form with, with, you know, we take them into the world of sort of like a parody of Archie comics. We see Cheeks and Brady in high school. Um, which oh, and is, yeah, one of the few stories in which they come into the story as a committed couple. And of yeah. course, a superhero and a supervillain who fall in love. Yeah. <laughs> it was so much fun coming up with those stories. And, and then after we finished the book, we thought of more stories, more worlds we'd want to explore. So if there's another comic book, like, we know where we're going. So where do you see the future of the show going? I think that the show could go on for years and years and years, and I hope that it does, because there's a lot of good stories left to tell. Yeah, everything, every story you ever told on Mad About You, about being a young married couple, you could do on our show, plus mm-hmm. ten times more of that that have to do with the world of same-sex married couples that is just getting started uh, in our country in real life, and it's going to lead to all sorts of other interesting, funny situations. Thank you so much. And how is the con going for both of you? Good. It's exhausting. Yeah, yeah but we get to meet amazing people. And um, we were leaving our signing just now, and Run DMC was coming in after us, so that was kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, but it's always a blast, and we love meeting our fans. And we've gotten some awesome gifts from fans. And uh, What were some of the best gifts you got from fans? One of oh the goodness. best gifts I got was relevant to the comic book because uh, we have a thing in the comic book where Cheeks and Brady are given a gift that is a pop art interpretation of a Fabergé egg. And somebody actually brought a painting of that exact uh, gift that they get in the comic book. It was a, like a replica on canvas. It was amazing. Yeah, I get this. One of our fans is an optician. He made these eyeglasses. These are a gift from a fan. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And they're, I love them. I'm seeing you like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and it used to be the first couple year, first couple, first year of Husbands, I guess I'd say, if we did an hour-long signing, we'd have maybe 20 minutes of people. Now uh, now we got like, an, we have people hour, a full hour. The lines just keep getting longer and longer. Yeah. So, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you have a great Comic-Con. Thanks. Thank you. It's Matt White. I'm here with Tony Cliff, creator of Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant. He's here at Comic-Con. 
And uh, how's it been going so far? Uh, it's been going fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't complain. It's been lovely. Everybody's been wonderful. Very busy. Yeah, the book's been uh, book's been selling well. I uh, you would have to ask me. <laughs> uh, I haven't been monitoring, but um, yeah, I've been signing them and sending them out. It looks great. I'm looking at it now. And uh, tell me a little bit about the book, how it started. Um, it started sort of. It started small. I made it as um, as like a thirty page, thirty page comic, self published. Put it out there, um, just as sort of a lark, um, and it got nominated for an Eisner Award. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I took that sort of encouragement and kept going and added a little bit more, uh, which I which I put into the. Submitted for one of the flight anthologies, and um, then built up and up from there, and put it online, which uh, is how it sort of came to the attention of First Second. And uh, here we are with uh, the Turkish lieutenant, as you are holding in your hands. And how is the? Uh, what's the difference? I mean, you wrote it originally for digital, correct? Well, I the intention was always to have it. The intention was a, was always for it to be a book. Um, putting it online was more a case of my wanting to. I needed a litmus test. I needed a, I needed some feedback. I need to find out whether or not this was in fact a uh, you know, like a vanity project I was working on, or whether it would gain some traction with readers. And had you ever done this before? This this method? Um, no, no. This has all been kind all of been a learning process. And, um, and it's all come together in the morning. And uh, how's the convention? Is this, is this uh, your first New York Comic Con, or I'm imagining? Uh, this is know? my first New York Comic Con. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been very, very much enjoying Artist Alley down there. Yeah, I gotta get down there. Uh, yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> I like the way it's sort of uh, dedicated to its purpose uh, and set, a, set aside from the, the main floor and the, the sort of hubbub that's going on here. Which has its downsides, I, I suppose, but it also means that you know what you're getting into. Yeah. So if you're walking around Artist Alley, you know what you're looking for. You probably, um, if you're, and if you're tabling at Artist Alley, you don't have to deal with uh, people who aren't super interested in you know what sort of thing you find at Artist Alley. Yeah. Are you seeing any kind of like trends in the comics now that you want to talk about, or anything that's exciting you? Anything that's bumming you out, maybe? Or <laughs> um, uh, well, Mark and I, sorry, Mark Siegel for a second, and I were literally just talking about um, French comics. Of course, it would be nice to. In North America, you get you get superhero comics. Yeah. Uh, you, get, you get a lot of superhero comics. You seem to have a lot of you know, we seem to have a lot of um, uh, sort of indie slice of life comics. A lot of kids comics. But there's a whole world over there that yeah, most people don't even know. Yeah. Completely different. The, the, the sensibility, the European sensibility towards graphic novels and comic books is so different. Uh, 
you know, adventure comics for, you know, mature that, for grown Is that kind of what this came out of, or Delilah Dirk? Were you looking at European comics? And perhaps, sort of, perhaps. Yeah. I think there's a mutual, like, like my, my background is in animation. Okay. And I think you can see in a lot of the French comics, um, uh, guys coming up through the animation schools, and so sort of you can see the animation sensibilities yeah. in there were it's always beautiful the books are always beautiful like yeah. I look at a yes. European artist yes. and I think oh my god this is like beyond yeah they're gorgeous and it would be nice to see more of that crossing over um, that would be lovely I mean more I mean, of those books getting here more of that kind of look I, I would migrating. personally I would like to see uh, yeah some of my favorite French uh, French books coming over here getting translated No, even if you find them in English they're usually like so expensive and you think oh god how many are there there's yeah. 15 yeah. of them <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, they're published at large, and, and it's just such nice objects. And I know there are a lot of industry pressures <laughs> that will make that uh, that makes that model a little bit less realistic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, for the for the sake of comics, I would like to see more French stuff. What are some of your uh, favorites in particular? Just one or two. Um, there's one I'm specifically thinking of, but I don't want to get the names wrong. I can't remember them specifically right now. Um, it's called Last Man, or The Last Man. Uh-huh. Not Why The Last Man. No, <laughs> that's not, not your opinion. Not Nia Guerra's. Um, why The Last Man. Um, but also, uh, I've always been a fan of... Um, Pierre Allery's uh, Belladon. Okay. Which, <laughs> which I discovered uh, at a San Diego Comic Con uh, one of the years I took down like that self-published Delilah Dirk comic. I discovered uh, Belladon, which is also a, uh, a historical sword-swinging female uh, adventure comic. <laughs> and uh, I seeing a pattern. <laughs> well, I had the fortune to run into run into Allery, yeah. and, and his his drawings are beautiful. <laughs> ran into him and said, ah, you beat me too. <laughs> I know, there's a certain point I feel like with creators where you admire them and then you almost resent them. You're like, why aren't, I want that to be me. A little bit, like, a little yeah. bit. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. I think our sensibilities are different enough that there's a huge problem. But but Valerie's work, um, uh, Alessandro Barbucci, his shows, and um, his older Sky Doll um, works are lovely. Uh, Man Arenas, I think I believe is Spanish. I meant oh, I'm a uh, But his um, Yetzi, the Fall, is excellent. Yeah. Just gorgeous. Um, and I you know they're like they're just a load that I'm, I'm forgetting right now as well. Like I said, it's, it's tons of them. I feel like every time I look, there's more. And this guy's great. This guy's great. Oh yeah. my goodness. Um, Stuart Inc. books. Uh, are you familiar with them at all? No, uh, not. They're based in, I think, L.A. Um, but they always have a booth in San Diego, which has a where you can go to get all of the most beautiful yeah. uh, French comics. Cool. Uh, what are you hoping? How do you hope the con's going to go overall? Any? Uh, a lot of Delilah Dirk floating around. <laughs> uh, you know what? We uh, well, so far uh, the con has been whatever happens from here on is, is bonus because I had a meeting with Callista, my editor, yesterday about the second book. We talked about some story issues. Um, we both had turns out we both had the same concerns, um, and we sort of worked through some problems. And the book is is going to be a lot better for it. And um, to take you know take our notes back home and get back to work. And, when do you uh, think we'll? Really excited. Yeah, because you know, because I always 
that's at least the question when you're collaborating. It's not like, uh, will we want to take different things out of it? But we had a conversation and we were all like straight on the same page and that's good. solving yeah. the same problems and it was it was just delightful. So uh, anything from here on is gravy because that takes a takes a load off my mind. And when do you think uh, we'll see that book, possibly? Uh, Ballpark. Yeah, a, it, it may be probably about two years' time. Okay. If everything goes according to plan. Yeah. But yeah, two years, hopefully. Well, the book looks great, and uh, hope the con keeps going well. It sounds like it's going well now. And thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you. Right, I'm here with Cameron Stewart, artist on many books, including the newly released San- Sin Titulo. Yes, close enough. <laughs> okay. Um, Sin Titulo. Sin Titulo, yeah. which um, PW recently reviewed, got a good review. I've read it. Yeah. Okay. Um, how's the con been? How's it going? Uh, you know, I, I actually haven't been here that much. I, um, you are the lucky one, it yeah. seems. It's, uh, it's, this is pretty hectic and loud and not really my scene, so I... Uh, I I have um, only been coming in for like my obligations and then, uh-huh. and then out again. So is this your first time at New York Comic Con? No, uh, this is actually maybe the third or fourth I think okay. I've been to. Yeah. yeah, which explains why you only come when you need to be here. Yeah, I know what it's like now. So yeah, it's like this. Uh, it's I keep coming to these kind of shows, but I, I find that I have to limit my time at them. So it's probably it's the best idea. Yeah, it's the best. Um, so yeah, seeing T. Tulo, um, tell me about the book. How did it come about? I know it was a webcomic at first, yep. but now it's out from Dark Horse, and how did it come out? Uh, well, I, it started with uh, a group of friends of mine who are also comic artists in Toronto, and we were every week we would get together and we would just talk shop over lunch. And a common thing that we would talk about was how we were sort of dissatisfied with our careers and how we were always working on, you know, work for higher jobs that didn't really satisfy us and we wanted to do our own material. And so, as a group, we all decided that we were going to do web comics that we could write and draw ourselves and do a kind of things that were just purely for our own creative expression rather than, you know, commercial art jobs. Yeah, sure. And so, um, so we launched a web comics group called TX Comics, and CTTLO was one of them. And uh, it was just a thing where I didn't even, when I began, I didn't really even know what it was going to be. I just was. I just started it just to get it started, just to get the ball rolling. Uh-huh. And so I'd had a, I had a dream that I thought was kind of an interesting first sort of image for the story. And then subsequent to that, um, excuse me, I had an actual real-life event um, that is mirrored in the book where the, the lead character finds out that his grandfather had passed away without him knowing about it uh, uh, because of neglect and so on and so forth. And so that, I also thought, was something that I wanted to include in the story. And then it just sort of grew from there. It began as kind of an exercise in improv and just sort of setting up situations and exploring them and having the freedom to just write freely. Um, and then uh, after a while, it, it started to become a more tightly planned thing where I, you know, you get so far and then you have to bring it home and kind of yeah. include it, resolve everything. And, and how did it, uh, the, the, it coming out in print, how did that come about? Did you, did Dark Horse 
approach you, or did you? Uh, what was your relationship with them? That I'd already done, I'd already done some things with Dark Horse, uh, some BPRD uh, stuff, and um, some other things. And when I, I won the uh, 2010 Eisner Award for Best Web Comic, congratulations! Thank you. Um, and I was nominated for a Harvey, and I won a Schuster Award, which is Canadian Comics Award. Um, so that basically got every publisher interested. So I was approached by by several publishers. Um, and Dark Horse was the, the one that was actually, I think, the, the, the one I felt most comfortable with. I really liked the people at Dark Horse. They were the ones who seemed most invested in making it a really nice uh, production. Like a, like, it's a really nice book. It's a really nice book. It's, it exceeded what my expectations for it. Um, and, uh, and really, crucially, I think they were the only ones that trusted me. Because this all happened, uh, the, the the publishing offers started coming in while the book was really only half written, and all of the other publishers wanted me to uh, basically provide them an, an outline for the rest of the story and have editorial input, input and so on. And I, I didn't want that. I just I just wanted to do it as it began, which was just me do it the way that I want to do it. And Dark Horse were the only ones that that were, kind of trusted me and said, you know what, that's fine. Just give it to us. When, when we're done, they, they said that even if it even if it closed badly, the, the the first half was so strong that they still felt that it was worth publishing anyway. Um, hopefully, it, it didn't close. It didn't end badly. Hopefully, it had a satisfying ending anyway. But they were they, they trusted me in, in a way that I think nobody else did. So that's why I felt like they were the ones to do. And how was the experience? I mean, it sounds good going from digital to print. It seems like that's kind of a lot of comics are going that way now where they'll start online and then eventually a publisher will take notice and the book will come out um, you see it as a good thing for the business absolutely it's, yeah. it's been good for you so I, 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 yeah I mean it's I'm living proof that it can be really really good yeah. it, 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 the, the reason why I did it online is that it's cheap it's really cheap there's oh, yeah. no if I'd have tried to self-publish it or if I tried to do it as individual monthly issues or something it, it, I don't think it would have had anywhere near the same success um, but putting it online there's almost no investment it's only time really, yeah. and like whatever it costs to host a website which is almost nothing and you have a huge audience and um, and if it's good it's good on its own merits exactly like, yeah. I always believe that is that is that if something's good it will get noticed and word travels because I really didn't do all that much promotion for it I, I put it out and you know I used my Twitter accounts or something to say that I was working on it but after a while it's people start doing the work for you and yeah. they're engaged with it they start tweeting about it themselves and sharing it and, um, things that, that doing it on the internet makes it a lot easier to do rather than having it in print um, but then there's also the audience who doesn't really enjoy reading things digitally and would prefer to have a, a, a physical object. So this is a good way to kind of hit both audiences. And, and, uh, and in some cases, there's crossover, too. I mean, there's a lot of people who read it online for free but have also bought the book because they they want to they want to now that it's complete and now that they've read it now they know they've enjoyed it now they're going to pay for it they're going to reward me by paying for the that's book. good that yeah, yeah people are willing to to actually do that exactly so um, I think that digital comics are, are great it's probably if I do anything of my own in the future it's probably going to be the same model yeah um, of doing it online first and uh, so I, I I think it's going to become more and more 
prevalent. My, my, my vision of the future of the comics industry is that the, the monthly comics will cease to be. They'll all be digital first. And then it's going to be like records. Like the, like Nobody really buys CDs anymore or, or records except for a very small sort of enthusiast community that does it. And I think it's going to be the same with comics. And there'll be a group of people that will always want to buy books. And the, the books will become the nice kind of, you know, art objects. Yeah. But generally, I think things are moving online. Uh, and that's borne out by the steady growth of digital comics. Well, the next question was going to be about, you know, emerging trends, but we just, just kind of answered that one there. Um, anything at the con that you're excited about? Anything you've seen that's... I'm excited to leave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's... there's it's this thing is it's there's so much overstimulation. It's, I know it's hard to even see a, the signal to noise ratio. It's, it's hard to to see anything. Someone know, actually asked so. me what's, what's been a great costume you've seen, and I said, you know, I don't even see the costumes anymore. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. blazing over everything, unless you know it's hitting me in the face. And maybe even then, I don't know if I'd even notice. Yeah, but, exactly. um, I'm excited. You know, I mean, the main reason I come to these things is to see friends. Yeah. So friends within the industry, and, and uh, that's that's really what I. Do. Get excited about it's like seeing colleagues. And uh, any upcoming projects you want to mention or bring up? Next thing is I have uh, the third Assassin's Creed graphic novel. Oh, okay, yeah. It's coming out at the end of this month, end of October. Um, that's the imminent thing. And then after that, next year, uh, the next Sea Guy should hopefully be Oh, yeah. Started. And then uh, I have a, an issue in Grant Morrison's Multiversity uh, project. Oh, yeah. Um, which is already done, but it's probably not going to be released until next year. A lot of people are waiting on that one. Yeah, that should be so great. For years. It's been, it was first talked about like five years ago. Finally, yeah, we'll see it. All right, well, thanks so much for taking the time out. And I hope see you to too low. Keeps going great. Sounds like everything's working out for us. Everything's great. All right, cool. And I hope you get home in one piece. This is Matt White. I'm here with uh, artist Andrew Robinson, who's got a new book coming out, The Fifth Beatle, about Brian Epstein, manager of the Beatles. So how you doing, man? How's the con? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah? Busy and uh, yeah, trying to recover from last night, but yeah, doing all right. Oh, what was last night? <laughs> uh, last night was uh, the DC party, and then oh. <laughs> that hanging out with friends and going from here to there, and you know, staying out a little bit too Taking late. it easy. On Saturday, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so let's talk about the fifth Beatles. It's coming out in about a month. Yeah. And uh, how'd the project start? How did you get involved? Uh, my agent, Mark Irwin, got me the job. Um, he had like a friend's, uh, actually his partner works up here. And his friend's friend is, uh, I guess, um, sort of a, a mutual friend of Vivek, uh, the writer. And... You know, at first I just asked, hey, do you want to paint a, you know, a graphic novel about the Beatles? And, you know, I was like, yeah. I'd imagine you're a big Beatles fan. Yeah. Kind of have to be. To... Yeah, totally. Um, and were you aware of this, of Brian Epstein's story prior to the book, or did not, this not kind really. of open I mean, it? I kind of knew who he was, but I didn't know really too much about him. So, um, yeah, once I read the script, it was just really cool that it's, it's a story about the Beatles, without really being totally about the Beatles, you know, it's, it's more, it's really is Brian's story, and the Beatles are kind of like, you know, basically in the background, I mean, they're there, but it's about Brian and um, what he does to them, and 
like the outward success that he has, you know. But then we're also dealing with inner struggles of, um, you know, being gay and, and having to hide that, and um, uh, you know, doing so much for everybody else while kind of wanting to be loved and you know have love and um, and a, a bit of a, a bit of a tragedy, you know. So. But just somebody, but somebody who uh, I think needs more recognition. Yeah, he's certainly an interesting character, and, yeah. you know, as a person, and just looking back. And um, why a comic book? I mean, was this? I mean, I know you're kind of approached to do the book, but right. as opposed to, to your knowledge, I mean, as opposed to writing a book, let's say a prose novel. Uh, you know, the the writer is a big fan of comics, um, and I, I think that he just uh, wanted to get the ball rolling with a graphic novel, and then go from there, get some attention, and uh, get the funding for a film, which they, they've been able to do. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, live action, or...? Yeah. Oh, action. okay, cool. Yeah, uh, um, uh, Bruce Cohen is going to be producing. Uh, recently, he did uh, <laughs> produce uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, okay, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. And also, we've got um, a uh, music producer, uh, David Kahn, who knows Paul McCartney, has worked with him, and he's possibly going to work on the movie as well. Has, uh, is Paul, or I guess Ringo at this point, aware of the book, or are uh, they... They are, and I was told that they just, like a few days ago, gave uh, Paul a book. Okay. So, hopefully he's reading that, and he's on his way back to the UK, from what I hear. Hopefully he enjoys it, yeah. Well, I've seen the book, I've seen a copy, uh, it's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous looking book. Um... And I'm definitely gonna buy it when it comes out. But uh, I want to talk about, I guess, like your process a little bit. I mean, I'm imagining you looked at a lot of pictures of the Beatles and kind of tried to capture them. And I think that you really do capture them in a great, in a great way in the book. Uh, you want to take us through a little bit of the process? Um, well, I, I started with a few big books uh, about the Beatles. Um, I think like. The fashion of the Fab Four, and another one was just like an overview of like from the beginning to the end of um, of their career as being Beatles and, and what they did after. And then it was just a matter of um, anything that I needed to study. I, I just Googled it, whether it was like Idlewild Airport before it's JFK. Um, we deal with like uh, the Ed Sullivan Show, um, the JFK Motorcade. Uh, different places in Liverpool and in England, and it was just a matter of just each each scene, just finding the references that I needed. Um, for because they changed so much, yeah, like you had to make yeah. sure you got the right look down. Yeah, yeah exactly. When we drawn Sergeant Pepper in like right, 1965. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, we're seeing you know haircuts change, um, <laughs> fashion change, and you know just trying to get it uh, as as right, you know each scene right, make it believable, and uh, hopefully, you know, when you read the book, you're just you're able to go there, you know? Yeah, definitely, I definitely, you get that sense of that the whole scene is created, and right. I only read the first couple pages of, I think they were in the record store, and just the atmosphere, immediately, you get it, and you, you understand it's the 60s, the early 60s, right, and right. you did a great job. Yeah, thank you. I was actually reading a advanced copy and I stopped so I wanted to I want to read the actual thing I don't want to want to experience it fullest um general question you know how do you feel uh 
Anything exciting you right now in comics? Anything kind of bumming you out? Or uh, how do you see any trends showing up? Or? You know, I've sort of been in my cave, you know, just doing my thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I just recently started reading uh, American Vampire. I think that's it's a great book. That's yeah, amazing. Um, I'm enjoying uh, The Wake. Um, oh my god, yeah. I'm going to be doing covers for The Wake actually. Uh, nice. Issues six through ten. Um, other than that, I'm a little bit out of the loop. I, I probably have some catching up to do. You know, I have some catching up to do. Yeah, and there's so much good stuff. It's yeah. hard to even yeah. keep track of all. Yeah, yeah, you kind of exactly. just have to just go with what you like. And yeah, totally, totally. Well, uh, anything. So you mentioned you'd be doing a couple of weight covers. Anything else coming uh, after the, the got fifth a, Beatle? Got a Batman black and white story. Oh, nice. Uh, I believe that'll be in, be in like issue issue five or six. Okay. Any big, uh, any graphic novels on the horizon, or for now? Uh, for now, seems like a big like one. Yeah. Taking a break. <laughs> exactly. Uh, doing some covers, um, and hopefully next year I'll be getting back into my own book, Dusty Star, and possibly some other creator-owned projects. Do you want to talk about that, or? Uh, you know, not much to say at this point. But uh, yeah, get back to me. You know, next year sometime. And we'll definitely I'll, keep I'll, an eye out for it. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking the time out and uh, joining us at the con.